Good evening, everyone. My friends, um, we celebrate the solemnity uh, because it's on a Sunday, uh, normally known as the Feast of the Transfiguration. Uh, the Eastern Church refers to it as the Theophany, and uh, uh, we would understand that. Uh, and uh, the Greek word that's used, uh, it's been translated in English as transfiguration, but the Greek word is metamorphosis. Can you imagine that? We're celebrating the Feast of the Metamorphosis. <laughs> it doesn't have the same ring, does it? <laughs> it? Sounds a little bit weird, actually, when you say it that way, but that is the word, and uh, metamorphosis is a, a change of character, appearance, uh, and um, uh, the transfiguration has that better sound. And uh, my friends, uh, our first reading, uh, the prophet Daniel from the Old Testament gets a vision. And in that vision, God is trying to communicate to him something. And um, uh, Daniel describes you know, the ancient one. Uh, the one with the white hair, and I was thinking, <laughs> like, deacon. <laughs> Not the ancient one, but the white hair part. Um, and if you don't know, there's a picture of here that the artist used the image of deacon to inspire uh, that image. And that's why it made me think about, oh, oh, there we go. Um, and he talks about the Son of Man. Daniel has no idea about Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth, um, you don't know what that is. Uh, but he's, his vision is that someone that looks like human is on the clouds. How can that be? For only God can do such things. So you see he's wondering about all these things. And we hear of another vision on Mount Tabor. And the sky was bright and Jesus was praying. As he prayed, uh, we are told his face shone brightly and his clothes became dazzling. When we look at all three gospel writers talk about this, so I'm gathering the information from the three. They all present it just a little bit differently. Um, we're told on one side stood Moses, uh, the great giver of the law from God, and the other side, the great prophet Elijah, considered the greatest of all the prophets. He presents uh, everything that the prophets before him would say. Jesus dazzling with the glory of God is between the two, indicating that he is the fulfillment of the law given by God and everything that has ever been written in what we know as Old Testament and what the Jews know as the Torah. A luminous cloud overshadows them, symbolizing that God is present. In the Old Testament, Shekinah, uh, this cloud was not just like a cloud we get here in Washington State. This one uh, indicates that God's presence is near. And out of the cloud, the voice of the Father is heard saying something very beautiful. This is my beloved one. Listen to him. Peter exclaims, it is wonderful for us to be here. If you wish... We'll make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. That tells me uh, they do not think this is just a vision. They're going to make a house, a tent, for Moses and Elijah. They must look pretty real to them. They must look like flesh and blood. Peter's desire to stay on the mountain, he wanted to build a safe haven there away from all the troubles and dangers that Jesus had been talking about, 
just before they go up, Jesus said, they're going to take me. They're going to torture me. They're going to kill me. But the purpose of this experience on this mountain was not to encourage escape. The purpose of this experience, this epiphany, this theophany, was to comfort and strengthen the apostles so that they would be able to go back and face what needed to be faced and how much they needed that strength. As a theophany story, a theophany is uh, God, uh, I, there's no real good way to understand the theophany. Deacon is like uh, when God is talking to himself uh, almost. Uh, so God is speaking to God the Son. So that's like a theophany uh, where God's revelation of himself is given. The epiphany is more God revealing something for us to understand. Uh, so um, in this sense, um, um, the apostles needed this, uh, this strength in this moment because um, the other hill was coming. And that time, it would be dark, and the face of Jesus would be covered with sweat and dirt and blood. His clothes would be taken from him. And for companions, he would have two criminals, one on each side of him. The disciples would be shattered, and then they would scatter, not wanting to be part of what was happening. And I think we can all understand. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying we would be able to understand. My friends, the thing in common between the two scenes would be that Jesus would be praying. What sustained Jesus of Nazareth when he was on the earth in bright times and in dark moments alike was his relationship with his Father and his communion with him in prayer. Everything Jesus did, anything he'd done, he'd done before uh, he did with prayer. His whole life, uh, St. Paul says, make, pray unceasingly and never stop. And you're like, wow, that's for monks and nuns. But it's not, it's for you guys. So how do you go about doing that? The way Jesus did it, his whole life was a prayer. Everything he did, everything he said was prayer. Our Christian faith is not meant to provide escape for us from the struggles that lay ahead, but to help us to navigate them. These moments uh, of light that come our way are meant to help us in the moments of darkness. And for each of us, that will be something different. Prayer and religion are not escapism. They are meant to help us to face life and to navigate this world. With all of its beauties, but also with all of its difficulties and challenges, with all of its high moments and all of its low moments of life. I'm going to be bold and say that all of you have had some experience of Mount Tabor. The elation, the joy, the happiness. 
I was thinking about because of last week when I talked about that lottery ticket. I'm like, ah, I bet Peter thought he won the lottery when he was on the mountain this time because of what he saw, right? Because Mount Tabor was a hill of joy, a hill of amazement, a hill of exaltation. And we have here at Mass especially, we can experience moments of light and joy. These moments of transfiguration are given to us to strengthen us for the everyday tasks that come. And for some, it's just the boredom of every day becomes a challenge. For others, just trying to keep up <laughs> pace with everything is, is the challenge. Each of us uh, using an uh, old way of using the, the theology speak, everyone has a cross that comes their way in some shape or form. And I'm very understanding that there are some people who are more familiar with Mount Calvary. It seems like it never ends for them. The darkness, the suffering, the fear. And really what happens is, though, we tend to go from one hill to the next. On Tabor, we have glimpsed the beauty of heaven, the glory of God, encouraged and elated and filled uh, with inspiration. We also have the thought, it is good. It is good. Then we are plunged into the sorrow that can be a Calvary. On Calvary, by the grace of God, we can learn to say, Father, thy will be done. Thy will, not mine. We have the promise of being transformed like Christ and hearing God say to each of us, I am well pleased with you, my beloved child. Remember, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to his faithful ones. Because of Jesus' paschal mystery, his passion and death and resurrection because of our baptism we all have now the promise of life and immortality because of Christ we who are baptized have this great gift however we who are baptized must return a gift also to God what is the gift that God wants from us he desires first a humble spirit and a contrite heart and that we would walk humbly with him and stop fighting with him. The gospel also tells us something else, that we listen to his son. It doesn't say hear his son, because you know what that is. I can hear music, I mean, I'm listening to it. <laughs> it says, listen to my son. Do what he says. If we accept God's promises and blessings, and listen then to his son, and have faith and act on that faith by living lives of holiness and righteousness, we can more and more be transfigured into that very image of his begotten one, Jesus. In our Christ-given dignity, though clothed in our humanity, we'll shine and continue to transform until we become fully what St. Paul tells us uh, when he writes one of the letters to I believe it was the Corinthians, children of light. You are children of light. And uh, um, my friends, when he uh, spoke these words, um, 
He said, be imitator, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love. As Christ loved us and handed himself over for us as a sacrificial offering to the Father for a fragrant aroma. He goes on to say, remember once you were in darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Live as children of light. It was the Ephesians, sorry, not the Corinthians he wrote to. For light produces every kind of goodness and righteousness and truth. And he goes on to say, try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord and then do it. It sounds simple when it's like that, doesn't it? <laughs> but in practice, <laughs> it gets a little more complicated. It gets a little more complicated because we're not willing to forgive. It gets complicated because we are not willing uh, uh, to act in kindness. We're not willing to give up selfishness. Those are all the dark things that Paul would contrast with us. Well, I guess you have a lot of white hair, Hal. I could have pointed you out instead of the deacon. <laughs> Make fun. My friends, uh, the transfiguration is a glimpse of our future. This feast, this solemnity, while it helped Jesus also, because we do not know what he was talking with, with Moses and Elijah. We don't know what the conversation was. We have an idea because of what was coming. And maybe God was encouraging Jesus of Nazareth, his son, for that time, perhaps. He was fully human. It was to encourage the apostles not to be afraid and overcome. That didn't work, did it? Because within those days, they would run away, except for the women. <laughs> Jewish women are tough. <laughs> Jewish women are tough, Hal. And the beloved one, he was close by. But also the glimpse that they saw was as if to look into a mirror because Jesus was showing them, if you follow me and do as I tell you, this is what will be for you. And my friends, I think about my parents, as I get older, my grandmother, but particularly my mom and dad who suffered in this world, homelessness and discriminated against, and poverty, getting cancer. My dad suffered greatly. The end was awful. My mother dying from the same type of cancer but almost hidden because she had Alzheimer's. And I picture them as Jesus said, children of light, dazzling and sparkling. And the things of this world are past for them. And it's almost as nothing. And now they experience joy. I believe uh, some of the saints who say those who suffer greatly in this world, they will not have that in the next. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Not to say that people who walk this earth easy are going to have it hard there. I don't think that's what 
That's not good. That's, that's a strange theology. But I take great comfort knowing, though, their end was not pleasant, that the future is. And now they dazzle with great beauty and light and wait for that time when all the family members will be present. In a way, I tell you this because there are some of our members who are moving into that time. They are making their final journey. Do not be afraid. So much beauty awaits. So much beauty. But it is our task to help them, to be with them. Is that not right, Kurt Carroll? To walk with the parent or the sibling in this final journey, especially when they're terrified and afraid. That is why the church is here. So we have to do better with that. Hold their hand, not give them medicine to kill them, but to hold their hand and to pray and stay watch with them. And then know a transfiguration awaits for them. Amen?